Turn your Bible, please, to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. A little while ago, Brother Joseph read from this passage. I want us to look at verses 6 through 11. Psalm 85, verses 6 through 11. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Well, we've been in a revival meeting these past few days, and God has blessed in a special way. You ever wondered what is a revival? Billy Graham says revival is falling in love with the Lord all over again. There are six statements that have been made about revival from some of the leading spiritual men of this generation or other generations. William Sprague said, wherever you see a religion rising up, a state of comparative depression to a tone of increased vigor and strength, wherever you see professing Christians becoming more faithful to their obligations and behold the strength of the church increased by piety, this is a revival. Charles Finney said, Revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Just as in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance and breaking down into the dust before God with humility and a forsaking of sin. G.J. Morgan said, Revival is reviving humanity, strictly speaking, to the sense of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to reanimate the indwelling of the Spirit and the life of the believer. Arthur Wallace said in the day of his power, revival is a divine intervention in the normal course of things. It is such a manifest working of human personalities, those human personalities are overshadowed and Christ is honored. J. Edwin Orr said, the best definition of revival is the phrase, a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And Stephen Alford, who just went to be with the Lord, revival is that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, reanimating and releasing into them the fullness of his blessing in the Holy Spirit. Well, What is it that prevents revival? Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. He has preached that all over America. He makes six statements concerning why revival tarries and why there is no revival in individual hearts. Number one, he said revival tarries because of pride. 
we are filled with pride. Terry means to wait or put off. Revival tarries because we have forgotten how to really surrender at the altar. We make a commitment without counting the cost. We need to change our lifestyle and our priorities. Revival tarries because of personal pride. Secondly, he said revival tarries because we have cheapened the gospel. In many places, our church hymns are played at dance tempo. The precious blood of Jesus is set to boogie-woogie. The Holy Spirit is syncopated. We display our gifts on the platform rather than singing a message. Number three, Ravenhill says, Revival tarries because of carelessness. We spend so little time with souls who come to the altar for eternal business. Number four, Revival tarries because of fear. We are afraid to speak out on spurious religions of today. We call that tolerance. Tolerance means today you can believe anything you want, but don't expect anybody else to believe with you. You can just run down the line, say anything you want to say, believe anything you want to believe, but don't let anybody interfere with that. There is no absolute Revival tarries because we're afraid to pray. Then he says, revival tarries because of a lack of urgency. Men are lost and on their way to hell. We sit coldly by. We need to pray and seek the face of God. Revival tarries because we steal the glory from God. Sometimes revival tarries because we're too busy. We're busy with this and that. We forget what God really wants us to do. Well, can there be revival? Who can have revival? Nations have had revival. In the early period of American history in 1740. Jonathan Edwards was preaching in New England. Just a small crowd came and then the crowds got larger and larger and larger. And then revival began to spread all over New England, spread across America, and it was noted in some historical books that that revival spirit was the groundwork from which our Constitution was written. And all the early documents of American history mention our Creator. We have inalienable rights from the Creator. They were not afraid to pray. During the Constitutional Convention, it is said that one of the men, that they got in an argument, and one of the men said, we cannot build a great nation without prayer. Let's adjourn and pray. And they did. And the greatest Constitution the world has ever known came from that prayer meeting. Well, churches can have revival. Families can have revival. People can have revival. Sometimes revival starts with just one person. And I'm wondering if there's anybody here today 
who has been touched by the Word of God and touched by the Holy Spirit, and you'd be willing to say, I want to be that one person, a key to revival. I want God to use me. I'm going to put away these little things, things that won't matter a bit in eternity. We get to heaven, we'll forget all about those things. I want to put them all away. I want a personal revival in my heart. In Psalm 85, there are at least five statements made concerning what happens when real revival comes. I want you to notice these. Look in verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? When there's real revival, there's going to be rejoicing. People will be joyous and happy. We'll have a good time in the Lord. Come to the house of God, we'll want to sing. I noticed this morning almost everybody was singing. That was beautiful. These young people over here were singing. These kids over here were singing. Choir was singing. You were singing. You were a great choir. And that's what happens when real revival comes. We rejoice in the Lord. There's new time of rejoicing. And that's what he says. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. I hope you'll mark these in your Bible. These are the results of revival. This is what happens after revival. There'll be rejoicing. Look in verse 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. We will be filled with his mercy. You know, it's not justice that we really want, it's mercy. I asked our Sunday school class this morning, how many of you have ever wronged anybody? I'll ask that question here. How many of you have ever wronged anybody? Lift your hands. Now, how many of you have ever been wronged by somebody else? All right, see there? And what are you going to do about it? You could have a chip on your shoulder the rest of your life and wait for somebody to knock it off. Or you can say, <clears throat> I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to give mercy. I don't really want justice, I want mercy. And that's what happens when we come to Jesus. We don't come and say, Lord, give me all the justice I deserve. Send me to hell. Nobody ever says that to God. You come to the Lord and say, Lord, I deserve hell, but I ask for your mercy. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for my sins. And I want to trust him as my Savior, my mercy seat. In the Old Testament time, they had cities of refuge. Some are on one side of the Jordan River, some are on the other side. And when a person committed a, a sin or a trespass against somebody else... In those days, they thought a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye. If you accidentally hurt somebody, they had a right to hurt you back. If you dislodged their tooth, they could come and dislodge your tooth. Whatever you did to them, they can do to you. But God devised, devised these cities of refuge so that when you did something that really you knew you would be punished for, I'm not talking about something really intentional like murder, but something that somebody could just get even with you about. You could flee to one of these cities of refuge and nobody could touch you there. You could dwell there in safety. It was called a city of refuge. It was a city of mercy, not justice. Today we're looking for mercy, not justice. That's the reason we come to Christ. 
If you really want justice, listen to this. If you really want justice, then continue the way you are, continue in your sins, continue in your agnosticism, continue it all, and die and get justice in hell. Because either you pay for your sins or you trust somebody who has already paid for your sins. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's what Calvary is all about. That's what Easter is all about. That's what Good Friday was all about. The crucifixion of Christ was the pouring out of God's judgment on sin. All of God's wrath was poured out on Christ that day at Calvary. All the sin desert that you and I deserved was given to Jesus. Those lies you told, those impurities, those immoralities, those wrong thoughts, the thievery, the cheating on your income tax, all these things were put over on Christ, and Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You can go to death and say, I don't know whether Buddhism is right or Confucianism is right or Methodists are right or Baptists are right or Catholics are right or Muslims are right. You can go through life like that and end up spending eternity away from God, paying for your sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way home to heaven but the way of the cross. And I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. And so the way of the cross is the way of mercy. And so this passage is reminding us that we want mercy. Look at verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. And let them not turn again to folly. What he's saying here is, we're going to hear what God says. We're going to listen to what God says. Human nature says, I'm going to get even with you. You talk against me, I'll talk against you. You say some ugly thing about me, I'll just keep on until I can get somebody to say some ugly thing against against you. That's what human nature demands. When God comes into our life, We have the spirit of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, when we have that attitude, it'll keep brothers together. It'll keep sisters together. It'll keep husbands and wives together. When we forgive, whether we're ever asked to be forgiven or not. When Jesus died on the cross that day, Which of those gamblers, which of those men that nailed the nails in his hand, which of those that whipped him and lashed him and stripped him, which of them came and said, Dear Lord, please forgive me? Not one of them. But on the cross, Jesus gave us an example. He looked into the face of God and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And remember that people that hurt you, they don't know what they're doing. They're just are performing human nature. Divine nature is entirely different. And so, when revival comes, we're going to listen to what God says. Not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You punch me in the nose, I'll punch you in the nose. 
It's not a get-even policy. It's a father, forgive them. And you know, when you have bitterness in your heart against somebody else, who does it hurt? If I hate Jerry Ham, and I just hate him, despise him, how does that hurt him? It doesn't hurt him a bit. It hurts me. I'm the one that gets bitter. I'm the one that has to talk about it all the time. If, if I don't like Blake over here, this little guy over here, I have no reason to not like Blake, but suppose I just don't like him. And I just get mad at him. Don't even talk to him. Who does that really hurt? If he's old enough, he'll be able to overcome it. But it hurts me. When you harbor grudges in your heart, whether it's against a brother or a sister, whether it's against a husband or a wife, whether it's against a mother or a daddy, the best thing you can do is to forgive. We read a lot about lawsuits brought by people who have grown up as adults and they look back in their childhood and think somebody has abused them so they get a law and have a law case against them. What does that do? It just brings the vengeance of human nature when God says vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Can you trust God to take care of Can you trust God for your eternity and yet not trust him to take care of what he says he'll take care of? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God said that. And so, this says when revival comes, we're not going to seek our own way. We're going to find out what God says. And then, in the same verse, he says, we will not go back to folly. Folly is all our foolish ways. You know, sometimes a revival is looked at, uh, you know, some, some of, somebody said one day, I don't believe in revivals because they don't last. <laughs> That's sort of funny to me. How many of you took a bath a year ago? Lift your hands. You don't even remember, do you? How many of you took a bath one time at least this past week? How many of you took a bath last night or this morning? Why did you take that bath? It doesn't last. You're going to have to take another bath tomorrow. A revival is like a bath. It's a spiritual upsurge of the Spirit of God in our hearts. It may not last. And so tomorrow we need again to read the Bible and to pray and seek the will of God and let our lives be lived according to his purpose and his plan. Not return to folly. How do you take a bath? I'm not talking about a physical bath with a shower or a tub. I'm talking about how do you take a spiritual bath? You ever thought about that? How do you do that? Number one, you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I have a need. I'm going to confess my need to thee and ask you to help me. Number two, you go to the Bible. Begin reading the Bible. Let God speak to you. Then if you feel you've wronged somebody or somebody has wronged you, you know what Jesus said? If you, come, if you know somebody's, you've got something against somebody or they've got something against you, when you come to bring your gifts to the altar, leave your gifts, go make it right, and then come on back. That's God's plan. And so we want to do that as the Lord directs. And then look down in verse 10. 
Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and truth and peace will prevail in our lives. Somebody wrote a song, If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. He breaks down the old cobwebs. You ever gone into a house where there are cobwebs in the, <laughs> up there in the rafters and in the closets and so on? What do you do? Just leave those cobwebs there? Every once in a while there are cobwebs on these lights. Brother Danny comes and takes care of the, the, getting the cobwebs down. Well, what do we do with the cobwebs in our lives? Just leave them there? Just let them stay there and let bugs come and land on them and get it worse and worse? Or do you recognize them for what they are and get rid of them? Just slough them off. You don't need them anymore. And God will give you joy, real joy, wonderful joy. Forgiveness is the greatest theme in the Bible. That's what the cross was all about. Jesus went to the cross to forgive so that you and I could be forgiven and so we could learn how to forgive. I read about a man, and you've heard this story before, doubtless, who committed a terrible crime. It was unseemly. He was sent to prison. He disgraced his mother and daddy, his loved ones, his family, his town. He spent time in prison, and then he was released after he had paid the debt. He wrote his mother and said, Mother, I know I've disgraced you. I'm so sorry I did that. If you and Dad will forgive me, I'm going to come on the train. Out in front of your house, the train passes by. There's an old apple tree. And if you'll forgive me, would you put a yellow ribbon on that tree? When I pass by on the train, I'll know you've forgiven me. I'll get off and come home. If there's no yellow ribbon on the tree, then I'll just go on and you won't have to bother with me anymore. I won't see you anymore. The train got closer to home. The man sitting next to him on the train recognized there was a nervousness about this young man and he asked him to tell him what the problem was and he explained what it was. Finally the man said, son, why don't you just close your eyes. We passed that curve and I see where you've described as that old apple tree. If there's a yellow ribbon, I'll punch you and tell you to look out. If there's no yellow ribbon, would just go on by. The train got closer and closer. Man had his eyes closed. All of a sudden there was a punch. He said, look out there. There's not just one yellow ribbon. That whole tree is filled with yellow ribbons. The man got off the next station. His mother and daddy were there to meet him. They said, I forgive you with all my heart. Jesus went to the cross to forgive us. Let's pass that on to others. Let's ask God to use this for his glory. Maybe pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus who bore our iniquities in his own body on the tree that we could be freed from sin, be forgiven, 
We pray that if we've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, that we pass that on to others. God, touch people's hearts in this place. And may someone come to Christ, trust you as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Fifty-six, page 156 is your all on the altar let's turn there please whatever God has said to your heart today will you let him have his way you may be here and you've never been saved you've never really given your heart to Jesus why not do it today just come to the Lord and say Lord I need you I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I want to just come. If you don't know how to be saved, come and we'll show you from the Bible. Then there may be those here who need to move your membership to Glendale. There are some who maybe need to recommit your life to Christ. Just ask God for the strength to step out and do what God tells you to do. While we sing, while we pray, Brother Brian is leading us in the invitation. Will you come?